So I have an illustration for you, an illustration that I believe it will just uh, set us up for today's uh, message. And this illustration is, is something that you have done uh, as well, um, something super basic, super easy. It's basically making a word or a sentence and adding boldness to it, and adding bold, boldness to it. And you, you already know that if, if a text weight or a sentence is bolded, it draws attention to that word or sentence. It brings the focus, maybe for the whole paragraph, for, to, to that word and highlights that, the, the things that it's trying to communicate. So let's, for, for this morning illustration, let's use the word Jesus, because we love Jesus, and this church is founded on and the belief of Jesus. So let's use the word Jesus. This is a normal font, a basic font. Nothing amazing about this besides the name on the screen, am I right? So let's just add, yes, let's add a little boldness, as you can see, let's add a little focus on this word Jesus. There we go, let's see, Boom stands out. You can see the word still. So what if, for this morning's sake, we add just a tiny 25%, maybe more boldness. Let's see, let's see what it looks like. You can clearly see it. Pretty, pretty awesome. As a graphic designer, I'm like, yeah, I don't know about this, but let's maybe, perhaps, and maybe in this room you're thinking, hey, what if we just add a little bit more boldness? Let's see what happens if we add just a little bit more Okay, it's getting messier, but you can still clearly see the word. Let's just go to the extreme ends of the boldness a little bit. Let's see. Boom, wow. Extreme boldness. I believe we just are witnessing a giant blob on the screen. The word is no longer there. We can hardly, hardly see that. So as we just practice with our eyes to witness, you and I have witnessed that the weight of the text matters. Not enough weight communicates lack of attention, whereas too much weight communicates lack of clarity. Lack of clarity. And now, and for that reason, for that reason, the illustration highlights, it shows us to, it allows us to see what maybe perhaps a lack of clarity looks like or a lack of attention looks like. Because I think it, it really communicates with what's happening with churches around the world and sometimes in our season here at Beach Point. That a timid church, a lack of attention, looks uh, a lack of attention and some extreme boldness, maybe perhaps the lack of clarity. And the reason why we use that, that word Jesus is because sometimes some churches to go to the extreme boldness that we hardly can see Jesus. Maybe you have experienced a church or a season of, in, in this church that, you're, that we're afraid of making unbelievers uncomfortable. They don't preach what the Bible commands and says. Perhaps you have experienced a church that doesn't have an impact in the community or the world. And I also want us to be careful and warn us that not to cross over to the extreme boldness where we can't, people can't see Jesus and the love and the grace of Jesus through his people. And sometimes we just confuse boldness with brashness. We want to be a bold church without being a brash church. 
that runs ahead of God and runs through people along the way. So last Sunday, we started a new series called It Takes a Church, where we have started exploring and learning from the the early church through the book of Acts. Pastor Bill gave a powerful message on what it looks like to be a devoted church. And you could, if you haven't seen that, you, haven't, uh, you could go back to our website or app and just follow along with us through the book of Acts. And during this series, we believe God is communicating to us as a church and to his churches that all of us together make up the church It's not the building, it's not the campus, but the people coming together with messy lives and imperfectness and saying, God, send us, heal us so we can be sent. Last week, we looked at the question, what does devotion look like to you? And this morning, I'm gonna present a similar question. What does boldness look like to you? What does boldness look like for your family, for your neighborhood, for your community? What does boldness look like to you? As we began in uh, starting Acts chapter 4, when I start at verse 23, uh, so I'm going to be, uh, the, if, you use the, if you're using the Bible in front of you, it's page 885. But before, we're, we're actually starting in the middle of chapter 4, but I want to give you a, a bit of a context of what's hap- what has happened because it will give us a picture of, the, our, uh, our, our, of our text this morning. In chapter 4, it begins with Peter and John proclaiming that Jesus was alive after being crucified and buried for three days and rose to life. This was their message. And they were put in jail. They were in prison for making this bold claim to the people. And the religious leaders and the elites of the time were overhearing what they were sharing. So they put them in jail. They stayed overnight. And it was awesome because in Acts chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, God multiplied the people to 5,000 because of the the message of Jesus. So the next day, Peter and John were put on trial in front of these religious leaders and elites. And they were trying to shut down their message of Jesus by questioning them and breaking them down so they can uh, teach another message. So they can share a better, maybe a, a, a clearer picture of what they thought the message should be. So they kept a close eye, as they were keeping a close eye on John and Peter. They witnessed, they witnessed them being uneducated, unordinary men who had an amazing power and message in their proclaim, uh, proclamation. And they were sharing the message of Jesus, sharing the message of hope, and it's in Jesus and the healing power in his name. And these religious leaders were astonished. So they concluded these men will probably was with Jesus, that followed Jesus. They were one of his disciples. 
So they warned them. So we get to, and Peter and John were warned not to speak in the name of Jesus any longer, or there will be consequences. They, they threatened them. They also let them go. And then and in this passage, we pick up in Acts chapter 4, the verses 23 to 31. You could read along with me. It's going to be on the screen. We start here in verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders have said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord, against the, his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what the power and will had decided beforehand would happen, should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and then enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where, uh, where they met, were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and, the, and spoke the word of God boldly. So I want us a big idea. I want us to, to write this down and really to sit with this week is becoming a bold church. It's not about us. It's about God who is sending us. It's about God. The focus is on God sending the church and his people. It's not about his church, even though the church is the, is the instrument to his message. The first thing I want you to see in verses 24 through 26 is a bold church is reminded of the sovereignty of God. Of the sovereignty of God. So after the release, Peter and John went back to their people and they shared everything they witnessed and they encountered and experienced. And those experiences encountered and witnessed reminded them of the sovereignty of God. Who is really in control? Who is orchestrating all of this? So for the early church, God's sovereignty is the foundational to the belief as Jesus, that Jesus is the anointed one, the promised Messiah that was to come. And they believed that God was sovereign over history and had a plan. That's the foundational belief, the foundational things that they believe Jesus had been the map the way that God had prophesied 100 years before it happened. God gave the title to Jesus. God sent Jesus as king above all kings and Lord above all lords. In Psalms 2, they recited Psalms 2, 1 through, 1 through 2, and it says Jesus was that anointed one that was prophesied 100 years before. And in Isaiah 53, if you haven't read Isaiah 53, I would encourage you because it's a picture of a, a suffering servant. 
And we know him as Jesus, as the, the, the person and work of Jesus suffered and died on the cross according to the scripture. And God raised Jesus from the dead according to the scriptures, Psalm 1610. Because the early church believed God's guiding hand throughout the past, they trusted his sovereignty into the future. They knew despite of their threats and imprisonment, the gospel, the gospel would continue to spread because God was at work. And God is still at work today. God is sending us as a bold church out to places and situations like the early church where we must trust him and his plan despite opposition. Becoming a bold church is not about us. It's about God who is sending us. And the second thing I want you to see in verse 29 to 30 is that a bold church asked for great boldness. Notice that the early church asked for great boldness. They prayed for great boldness, not judgment on their oppressors. And with everything that they went through, judgment was probably the quick and easy prayer and solution for them. And I believe, and it still happens today, where we're so quick to pray for judgment instead of great boldness. Great boldness to face the trials we're in. To, to, to pray for boldness for our enemies to, to, to encounter God. Or maybe a great boldness to forgive to those who have hurt us in the past or to forgive forgiveness. You and I have a lot of reason to pray this judgment on others, but it's not what the early church did, and I would encourage it. It's not something a bold church would do. So why did, uh, why did they pray for great boldness when they were facing persecution? They were being persecuted just like our last series, Blueprint. They were being persecuted because of the name of Jesus and what Jesus has done. And this, and this great prayer for great boldness will result in more persecution for them. And it would have more sense that they pray, they may be praying for safety and protection. It's just something human nature we do all the time. We pray for safety and protection. But in this text that we're looking at, they're praying for great bold boldness, more boldness, so they can face the oppre- uh, their oppressors. But I think they pray for great boldness because as long as God is with them, they will have that power behind their boldness to go and continue sharing about Jesus and the healing power that's in his name. And we can learn a lot from the early church, and we will, that prayer isn't something they just do or add to their routine, but they lean into most as their primary, communi- uh, primary way of communing, com- communicating to God and trusting him. As you know, when we pray to God, who listens and gives generously, their prayer was answered. Their prayer was answered. And the, the, the third thing I want you to see in verse 31 is that a bold church receives God. 
A bold church receives God. God heard their prayers. God didn't give them a script, a better script to, 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 to read. God didn't give them uh, the how-to list. God gave, him, him, they, God gave them himself. And the praying for great boldness was answered by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this was going to be the power behind their great boldness. And they felt that magnitude. They felt the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says the Holy Spirit came and filled them. And physically they felt, they felt it like an earthquake. The building shakes. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, which, which is the only source that they truly need to go back to their oppressors and continue to proclaim the name of Jesus. And in Jesus' name, the healing power. So today, even today, we, God, gives him, God gives us himself through the Holy Spirit who empowers us to be bold witnesses to the person and the finished work of Jesus. So whatever role you're in, wherever God has placed you and called you, whether you're young or repurposing, whether you just feel like you're weak and those of you are faith and strong in your faith, whether you're a student, whether you're working 40 hours a day, a week, sorry, not a day. God gives us, God gives us and gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us, to give us the power behind the boldness to go so we may partner with him in his great commission, the commission to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, the, the early church is reminded about that power. And it also reminds me as I was prepping in Acts chapter 1, verses 8, the beginning chapter of Acts. Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The question for us to just sit with from starting today is, where do you feel God calling you to have great boldness? Where is God calling you to have great boldness? Perhaps it's you individually having great boldness to proclaim Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And the best way to, to, to reveal that is through baptism. And maybe perhaps your prayer today is, how, God, how, how can I make this next step into baptism? Because baptism is an opportunity to, to invite your 8 to, 8 to 15, the people that, you, that God strategically placed in your life to be a blessing to. The 8 to 15 list that you have started maybe in the, the, the first of the year or you have been continually uh, putting new people on that list. Could be a family member you have been praying for that don't know Jesus. It could be a friend that you've been helping out. But the focus is not on you, but the focus is that God is blessing 
them through you. Maybe you're, perhaps you have a work colleague that you sit next to and you're, you're, you're quietly praying for them and your, life, and your life is reflecting the power of Jesus, the message of Jesus. Maybe perhaps you're scrolling through Instagram and their social network, maybe social gathering, and you're praying for the, the, the coach that your, your child is playing for. Maybe perhaps it's a way that you could begin starting this 8 to 15 list where it's a reminder of why God, why God placed these people in your sphere of influence. Maybe perhaps it's the neighborhood you're in. God placed, God gifted you and blessed you with this home and this neighborhood so you could be a blessing to those around you. So how can you meet the needs of your neighbors or even the city? And we have an opportunity here uh, about a year ago to be a blessing to the Oakview community. The church, us together collectively, felt the, the need and heard the call for great boldness to come alongside a church and feed families. And we were blessed upon months after months seeing the power of God and the changed lives through the food pantry. Simple thing as providing food. And this past Christmas, we had the opportunity as a church to partner with God through global missions, through hearing things that's happening around the world that we can come alongside God, and we've been praying for that. And one of the opportunities that we had as a church is to support my wife, Bonnie, on her medical mission trip to Vietnam, where I was born and where my family lives, some, some of my family members live. But she heard the call to go, and our, as a church, our prayer was to send Bonnie and her team. And be, instead of me sharing this moment, because it's a powerful moment, my wife is here, and she's going to come up and share and give an update of what God is doing in Vietnam, not just through medical mission, but the gospel of Jesus. Good morning. Well, I just want to start out by thanking all of you for um, supporting me and my team, whether you donated through Project Hope or you prayed for us or you helped watch the kids with Brandon here at home. Um, thank you. I really felt God calling me to exercise great boldness by trusting him while I was in Vietnam. To be completely honest, I was very anxious about going as I was preparing for the trip. Many of you asked me how I was feeling before I left, and I probably told you I was excited, uh, but truthfully, I was very anxious. I've been on overseas mission trips before, so I wasn't nervous about the flight or the new foods or the language barrier. Instead, my worries were, what if it's not really God's will for me to go? What if something terrible happens to me or my team or my family while I'm there? What if I don't come home? Uh, these anxieties were robbing my excitement for the trip and my trust in the Lord. So I told God how I felt. As I prayed, I was reminded of the sovereignty of God, that he had control over the weather, the Vietnamese government, our health, and any other source of trouble my mind could conjure up. Secondly, I was reminded that whatever God allows into our lives is for our good and his glory, and that even if something challenging happened while I was in Vietnam, I was still held in his hands, and he would never leave me or forsake me. 
So as I began to trust God's sovereignty and goodness, I began to relax and enjoy the trip. Uh, In God's sovereignty, he had us completely change our original schedule just a few weeks before we arrived. Our team leader had applied for a permit to run one of the clinics a whole year in advance, and the government had yet to sign the paperwork when we got there in Vietnam. So we switched the order of our clinics in the hopes that they would come through and sign the paperwork, and spoiler alert, they did. Um, But because of this last-minute change, the first few days in Vietnam felt more like vacation than work. We visited this beautiful island called Lee Sun. You can see it here on the screen. And a few of our members ran an impromptu mini-clinic while the rest of us explored the virtually undiscovered paradise. At this mini-clinic, a 14-year-old boy who was deaf and mute since infancy was brought to the doctors. By the grace of God, we had an audiologist on our team who was able to fit the boy with hearing aids. We were also able to begin the process of arranging for transport to a special needs school where he could learn to communicate. This is one example of how God's sovereign plan impacted the life of someone that we wouldn't have been able to minister to if we'd stuck with our original plan. My role as a nurse on this trip was to provide medical attention to some of the 2,900 patients we saw. We actually had a little bit of a physician shortage, so I was made an honorary MD. You can see my name there is Dr. Bonnie. (laughs) The main health problems that we saw were high blood pressure, heartburn, and musculoskeletal pain due to hard physical labor and arthritis. Sadly, also malnutrition is a major problem for young children in these rural areas. This next photo is from the highlight of the trip for me. This little girl is two years old. She has a congenital heart defect. She only weighs 13 pounds, and she can't walk yet. Um, I got to hold her while one of our real MDs, Dr. Reed, examined her. I prayed over her, and I hugged her as tight as her little body could handle. I don't know how long her physical life will last, so I prayed for her to know Jesus and to know eternal life. The Christians in Vietnam, particularly in the North and Central Highlands where we visited, experienced tangible persecution. The government often reclaims the lands where people have built their homes and their farms, um, and they have to relocate and start over from scratch. They'll also reclaim property where churches are built, requiring them to rebuild further away from the community that they minister to. Christians are alienated from their neighbors, and they're sometimes in prison for their faith. Despite these trials, they preach the gospel boldly, and they're filled with enthusiasm for the Lord. We had the privilege to visit several churches and witness the Awana programs that our team leaders helped start. And being there and watching these kids is like being here uh, during VBS week. It's just incredible enthusiasm. The Vietnamese believers continue to ask God for more boldness despite their persecution. So please continue to pray for them. So here's my encouragement for you. Maybe God isn't calling you to overseas missions. If you know that his work for you is here in this community, do it boldly and joyfully. But maybe he is calling you outside the U.S. Maybe it's short-term missions like what I did, and you could maybe join us next year. That would be great. Um, Or maybe it's long-term missions like what Tammy and Heidi and Taylor do. Pray for God's direction in your life. Pray for boldness to accomplish it. And remember that God is sovereign. He is with you even to the ends of the age. Thank you. So where do you feel God calling you to have great boldness? Let's pray. God, we want to pray right now for 
Vietnam and the people there, especially those who uh, identified as your, um, your people. I pray for future visits as you continue to, to work in and through this church. I pray that, that for boldness, great boldness, that we go proclaiming the name of Jesus wherever we are. I pray, Lord, that your name and your kingdom will be the focus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.